We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And today we're going to talk some regular season basketball. Basketball is back. I'm so excited. And boy, are there a few electricities in the air for opening night, D. Uh, first of all, first game of the season always has that uh, that buzz to it. But it's not just any first game of the season. It is the rematch of the Western Conference Finals, of which much has been said by both teams, I suppose, at this point, about what transpired. <laughs> we'll talk about that. No, it's the Lakers who are I, running that. Yeah. Oh. Don't get me started. <laughs> and then, I'm yeah, ready there to is, turn this into an explicit rating podcast. Hey, and it, it might have we to go literally, We literally just started. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways, please, please continue. No, man, but that's, the, that's part of it, too, right? And it's ring night for them, right? They're raising their first banner, getting their first ring. So it is going to be quite a night, D. Your thoughts going into opening night against Denver. First of all, take a step back. Let's remove Denver from the equation for a second. Probably the most anticipated opening night for the Lakers, I would argue, since they got Anthony Davis, Mm -hmm. right? Like coming off of the bubble championship or just a championship. I hate that we always call it the bubble championship. Like we call it that because it stands out in history, right? But it's Mm -hmm. like... The turnaround was so fast and the Lakers had done a lot of work to sort of reshape their team. But um, I just remember it feeling like almost like how, you know, you have a three day weekend and at work you feel like, oh, man, we get that extra day. It's going to be great. Uh And then you get back to work on Tuesday and it just feels like, oh, my God, I've got all this work. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it, like it came that, up on us quickly. Yeah. Like that wasn't a vacation at all. No. And that's how celebrating the championship felt after the 1920 season. It was like all of this relief. And then we're still in the middle of the pandemic and everyone feels like excited about the team and like, oh, reinforcements. But like, really, the season's starting already? Right. And it's this very ethereal atmosphere on top of that where the the arenas are empty or totally. very sparsely. It was just a, a very strange season. 
just all of that stuff. And so there was anticipation coming off of a championship, but I think that this season feels, and I've made this comparison before, much like the start of the 2009 season, the 2008-2009 season, right? And Mm -hmm. so coming off of a really tough loss against the Celtics, but a season which I still look look at pretty fondly, yeah, which was like this turnaround, this idea is like, oh my goodness, they became something. And this Lakers team became something in the second half of last season after the trade deadline. And of course, the season did not end the way that we wanted it to. But projecting this team moving forward, they look like a team that can be in that inner circle of championship contenders. They look like a team that... In June, they could be competing for a championship. And that is what Lakers, that's what the Lakers organization always wants. But I think it's also what their fans always want, right? It's what fuels them. And so removing the nuggets from this just for a second, Pete, that is what I feel like is energizing things from the Lakers perspective. It's like the stakes of it all, which for an organization that has won as much as they have, but also has lost a ton of championships, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've been in the finals a bunch and not won them. They understand both sides of that. I've always said that that's like one of the hallmarks of being a Lakers fan. It's like, oh, they, uh, like oh, they've won so much, but also it's like they felt heartbreak more than any other franchise if you've oh, been yeah. watching for a long time. And and so that feeling of can you get back to it and can you get back to the top? That is an animating thing within this fan base, and this group looks like it has that. And that's the feeling I'm carrying in to opening night. 18 is possible, right? Beyond opening night and the that ultimate goal. Um, yes, it's we've we've done this many times, and this is the type of team that can do it, right? Will they? We don't know. That's part of the, the, the journey that we're about to. But part of that anticipation, one of the dangers of that, I think, is you can kind of lose the goal and lose the forest from the trees. And I think there are there are some goals that are short term and one of them is to beat the Nuggets on Tuesday night, right? Yes. Um there are others to develop into that championship team. And so I I think that the team is not where it's going to be down the line. Um, but I think they have the opportunity to apply some of the vaunted continuity, right? That we've been talking about in the offseason in that in the game on Tuesday night. So let's zero all of those hopes and dreams D uh, in on yeah. that opening night game and into who has claim is the best team in the league, the reigning NBA champions team that went 16 and four in the playoffs. Really good team. Yes, they lost Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, and that will will matter. Uh, that said, they whooped on everybody and they, they they deserve to be respected as a as a reigning champion and so lebron james anthony davis austin reeves all those guys had all summer to think about like okay well, how would we do this differently now one aspect that's already going to be different is a five out type of look right uh looks like torian prince is going to start against Denver, who is just fundamentally different personnel than they had last season. Lakers are going to have kind of a a different look to show Denver. And so within that idea of we're kind of a a different look, but the same guys have been stewing over this all summer and have been every time they're in front of a mic and asked about Denver, which has been a lot, has been like, hey, yeah, of course, we've heard what they've had to say and we've had these games circled. What does that look like, do you think, on the court 
D? How, how does this different Lakers team match up with Denver? So I'd like to start offensively just because I think this is where the biggest change is for the team. And it's where I think you need to make gains in order to compete with the Nuggets. It's sort of laughable to me. Nuggets writers or people around the Nuggets who um, say this as well, like, well, no one did anything to really combat Nikola Jokic and to beat the Nuggets. Like, who's going to stop Jokic? No one did anything. Right. Why would it be any different this time? Yeah. There's a lot of that logic being used. And I think that that totally misses the point for where the Nuggets are vulnerable or how you have to try to attack the Nuggets. I'm from the world where I saw Shaquille O'Neal rip through the league for like a four-year stretch where he was literally unstoppable. It wasn't until you got like a perennial defensive player of the year award winner in Ben Wallace combined with like Rashid Wallace and all of this depth around him. And then basically this whole strategy of like, absolutely not. Like you're well, absolutely still amazing not. in that in that series. Yeah. He was still incredible, right? But it was this whole idea of we're going to go in this other direction. For the Lakers, I think, and and I think this is true around the league, where they need to try to attack the Nuggets isn't by having all of these reinforcements defensively to try to slow potentially an unslowable player in Nikola Jokic. It's how do you try to poke and prod at the areas of Jokic's game, which aren't his strengths, which are on the other side of the ball. And so I see the Lakers shift not only from the standpoint of their personnel, but even their schemes and just being like, okay, well, we're going to play more five out system. We're going to try to make this guy defend on different parts of the floor and not just be able to hang back and protect the paint. That to me is where like the coalescing of the Lakers overall big picture plan funnels right into what it means to play against the Nuggets on opening night. Where are you at with that idea? So just this morning, I was watching all of the pick and rolls that the Lakers ran in the Nuggets series. And there was a possession where we were trying to run a a pick and roll from the wing. And so we're right up against the left sideline. And if you look at the Nuggets players, all five of them are on one half of the court, right? Like it's like Jeff Green and Bruce Brown are like in the middle of the paint and they're the guys that are farthest to the right. So an entire side of the court, and it's not Vando or it's not Dennis in the opposite corner. It's Austin that's in the opposite corner, right? So you certainly have a shooting threat there. But it spoke to the point where the Nuggets, and and this is such a common strategy in our biggest games, teams so severely overcorrected into the paint, like that sort of all five guys are on one half of the court is really more of like a high school type of look. It's an overload, right? Because guys are such good shooters on uh, uh, on the NBA level. And I would say that this probably accounted for part of why Austin shot the ball so well, right? Is the coverage is so overloaded into the paint. But NBA shooters normally are are so good that if you do that, you're creating a wide open look either in the corner or on the wing. And if you've got two good shooters there, like it becomes a math problem very quickly. But there was such that such an overload that and that the Lakers were okay at making other teams pay at, but not nearly to the degree that matched how severely they overloaded in one direction. That that to me is like both in terms of scheme and personnel it's much harder to overload the paint against a five out look where at least four of the guys are shooting threats. And so 
Jokic was so good at attacking, like, so in our pick and rolls, for example, he'd be in a drop, and but not a super deep drop. And what he would be really good at is when, say, AD caught the ball off of a pocket pass, he'd strip him down low or he'd get a swipe down low. And he had a lot of success at that, right? And Jokic is a similar defender to Mark Gasol in that type of way where he knows uh, Pat Bev is in this way too. Those low swipes is where they can get the type of, uh, they can impact the game similar to the way a rim protector does above the rim. They just do it at a, at a different point of the scorer's gather. And so by being able to overload the paint like that, the Lakers scored okay in that series, but it wasn't enough to really to, to beat Denver, considering the problems they pose on the other end. Whereas if you watch the Phoenix-Denver series, it was more like Phoenix couldn't stop Denver at all. That that was the reason they lost that series, at least I thought. But they scored pretty much at will on, on Denver a lot of the time with a couple of stretches here and there where Denver would go on a defensive run. Anyway, I think that that's the biggest thing uh, I'm looking toward, uh, to, to speak to your point, D. So let's take a break and keep it going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this is where I want to talk more five out action and just not only from a shooting threat standpoint, but let's start there but also from like a role standpoint and like just lifting everything up the way that the Lakers are. But let's just start from a shooting standpoint and with the Lakers starting lineup that they're going to play, right? So it's going to be D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Torian Prince, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. And so LeBron is probably through the preseason, he was probably the most uneven shooter of that group. And in this last game, he looked great shooting his jump shot. And we'll see how much carryover he has from that final game into the regular season. I'm still hopeful that LeBron has a bounce back three-point season. But until he does that, I'm hopeful and not anything else. AD shot 46% from three. He hit six of his 13 three-point attempts over the course of five games. He was taking a little bit over to a game, not quite the six that Darvin mentioned, but as Mike explained in a later game preview post, it's not the amount of attempts. Darvin is basically throwing out this big number of four attempts as a avatar for this idea of be out there and play free 
Shoot your jumpers, shoot when you're, shoot you're open, when you're open. Yeah. be aggressive, no hesitation. We want you to shoot the shots that, that are there. And that number is like this mythical figure. It's just like, he's not going to shoot six threes a game. Right. The next time Darwin complains about the number, uh, about AD getting too many shot attempts will be the first time he complains oh, about man. that, right? Yeah. Exactly. But it's not just AD shooting. It's the idea that he's going to be playing above the break so much more. And that idea mm. of him not only feeling confident to shoot his shot from above the break, but to then have that flow into either handoffs or dribble attacks for himself, where he's then trying to attack Jokic on the move. And I think that's an important yes. distinction from him being a floor spacer by standing in the corner, which allows Jokic to still play one foot in the paint, one foot out, and do that little hokey pokey dance that mm. weak side defenders do as bigs when they're guarding a questionable or so-so shooter from the corner, right? And players these days are so big. Jokic is so big that he can still try to get out and contest that if he has to. But being above the break, there is no place to hide, right? And so that to me is where I sort of wanted to have our entry point to this discussion yeah. about the Lakers offense against the Nuggets defense. It's lifting everything up and starting with AD. Yeah. That means shooting the jumper with confidence, but also the attack stuff off of the dribble. I think that attack stuff off of the dribble is probably the most important consequence of the switch to the five out. Um, I had been thinking, you know, we had gone from the beginning of last season to having a lot of downhill guys to start the season and not a lot of shooting. It's kind of the opposite issue. And I was wondering over the course of the offseason, like, you know, how are we going to address that? Because in the Nuggets series, that LeBron was more of a ball handler than he was in any of the other series, right? And part of that is that's what Denver is vulnerable to defensively. It's part of the reason why Anthony Edwards scores really, really well against them. And so LeBron turns into that type of ball handler that he's always been, right? More so than he was in the other series. But in this style of offense, that's actually a lot of times going to be Anthony Davis, like you were just saying at the top of the key. And when we switched to the five out and I saw the first game, I was like, oh, AD is our downhill guy. And I was like, oh, let's freaking go. You know, like I think that's that is so much more important than the AD three point shot that we always talk about. And like, yes, it matters that he takes those shots, but it's more like you were saying with Darvin, a mentality of like you've got a trailer three and Jokic is standing in the restricted area. Like take the shot, dude, just yes. take it in, in rhythm and in flow. And if you take six of them, great. If those are, you take six of those type of threes, like let it fly. But the problem with Jokic, I think defensively sagging back in that respect is just as much now. I think the Lakers off ball players to the threat yes. that they pose along with Anthony Davis is even if AD doesn't feel that shot or he doesn't have it going that night that flows into a handoff. And all of a sudden that's Torian Prince and you got to get out to him. Right. And so that's something that I think that there are more problems being posed in that respect where I think we're at least going to stretch Denver's defense out. And I think that we'll have more success by doing that. So Zach Lowe calls this the yo-yo, and he mostly refers to this idea in the context of the Warriors or the Heat, right? The Warriors and the Heat are two classic five-out teams. They run a lot of dribble handoff action. They play through their bigs a lot at the top of the key or, or at the elbows, and mm -hmm. they flow into off-ball screen actions that then turn into handoff actions for shooters coming off, off of those. And I'm not comparing... 
Torian Prince and Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell to Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. But I am going to say when those dudes come off a screen and if they have an open look, they are going to sh- the Lakers players are going to shoot those shots with confidence. And if no one is there, they're going to make them. Mm-hmm. They're going to make them enough where it's going to be three points on the board and you're going to have to start to adjust your your coverages. And if the Lakers don't make them, well, then guess what? Your strategy won and they're likely to lose a basketball game. And just that because, happens even on teams that have good shooters. Yes. Oh, man. It, all of the time. It's a make or miss league. Like I hate to revert to these classic things, but there's a reason why these these sayings exist. It's because they're rooted in truth. Right. And so Jokic. Getting Jokic on on the yo-yo of basically saying, oh, AD's got the ball. I'm laying off. Jackson Hayes has the ball. I'm laying off. Oh, here comes Austin Reeves coming off of a screen. And and he already came off of a pin down. And now it's a handoff. The, the guy's at a trail position. He's got a clean look here. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to come up and defend that. Oh, he's got the ball. I came up, that deterred the shot. Now we're gonna run a pick and roll. Oh, I'm coming back up to the ball. Now I'm rolling down with, and with that's AD. that's yo-yo, right? And that's, that's a yo-yo of going up and down. All these decisions are being made in, in split seconds. It's really remarkable. And so the best defensive players can manage that at a high rate. AD was brilliant at this against the Warriors. And it wasn't until yeah. like, it took them it took the warriors like 5 games before they were really like okay we've we've somewhat got solutions and it literally took them four starting lineup changes in order to get to the point where they found the right grouping where they really felt like okay we've we've got something here just to try to get ad away from the places where we're trying to attack the lakers are going to need to try to do this to jokic and this is where i think the bigger picture idea of like this is where they're vulnerable And this is where I think the point that you're making about it's not just about AD making them pay for sagging off, although I think that's also important. We can't Mm -hmm. just gloss over that part. Right. Um, He can't just drive downhill all of the time and be like, oh, I've got a live dribble. I'm just going to attack you. Jokic is going to strip him down low on those Mm -hmm. drives, too. He's going to try to bother his handle. Guys are going to dig in against AD. They're going to make the Lakers shooters hit shots. But. That second part that you brought up of the Lakers players being better now at making those shots and understanding the rhythm of those shots. There's not a single Lakers perimeter player who played this preseason, even Vanderbilt in the one game that he played. Every single one of those off-ball role players shot the three ball with confidence and understanding this is a shot I'm supposed to take within this system and I'm going to take it. Right. Vando hit two corner threes in the first game and he shot both of those shots with zero hesitation at at all. You look at Vincent, Prince, Rui, like Wood, all those guys are just like, hey, we're letting this fly. We're open. We're shooting this. We're shooting this. And so I'm what I'm hopeful is, is that it's it's also a rhythm thing for the players, Pete, the outside shooting and the downhill gravity from all of that perimeter players being able to get downhill from up high coming off of handoff actions or just creating for for themselves that this is going to I hope create issues for a Nuggets defense that was way too comfortable just sitting in the paint against the Lakers during the playoffs last season and it's a great test for a new group of shooters too because it's 
a very different experience shooting the three ball in a preseason game versus a high intensity environment. And is this a finals game or a Western Conference finals game? No. But as we said at the top, it's going to have a certain electricity to it that, you know, those closeouts are going to come. KCP is a serious customer. Jamal Murray is a serious customer. They got some young dudes off of the bench that actually concern me. And so let's take another break and we come back and talk about why. So as I've said a few times, D, I came out of the Nuggets series feeling like they were in a different weight class. I do think that we have sized up and that it's likely that that is going to be less of a just that guy's way too small to deal with that guy type of situation. But I do think that it's still pretty near the top of the scouting report for the Lakers or when teams play the Lakers that teams should look to exert their size and athleticism on the Lakers. And that's in transition. And on the the boards, I think teams crash the boards more against us because we're going to give some of those up. And so team was talking about transition defense. Uh, I believe it was Dan Wykey was uh, asking AD about the team's transition defense and kind of what goes into it. And AD always gives uh, good answers that, and again, that are often sometimes not satisfying and the super not satisfying part of his answer D, I don't know if you heard this, but he was like, I don't know, maybe we're just not a good Transition defense team. I was like, uh, oh, oh man, it's October. I'm sure loved, <laughs> I'm sure Darvin loved that. But we were a bad defensive transition team yes. last year. We were not good in this preseason in that respect. That is something that I would like to turn more of our focus to, both in this pod and then going forward. It's an aspect of the game where we give up cheap points there. We give up cheap points on the defensive glass. What say you about this this whole idea? Well. I'm a long time believer in floor balance and in being able to understand when and how to go to the offensive class, right? And who has back responsibilities and then paying attention to those responsibilities. And so that last part is probably, it's the first part of transition defense is who's supposed to be back. And if you're supposed Mm -hmm. to be back, start to get back. If you watch too much, Someone is going to run by you in the NBA. The athletes are Mm -hmm. too good. The players are too smart. The part two of this is, are we crashing the offensive class? I thought that the freedom that the Lakers players had to crash the offensive glass exceeded their effectiveness. And so I thought Vando went to the offensive glass every single possession and AD went there a lot as well. Now, AD won more battles than... um, he, he, he won a fair amount of those, but he's not winning them all. And so if you're mm-hmm. going to go to the offensive glass and you don't win the battle, your first, your first like six or seven steps back better be like, oh, I'm trailing in the four by 100 relay. Let's get after it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you, you, you got to be in a full sprint, man. Like you got to right. get back. Right. One thing I would tell my players is that if you want to crash the glass, give me the commitment to the defensive transition at least, right? Like That's if right. you don't get that board, you got to sprint back. Right? That's and right. if you don't feel like doing that, jog back on defense. Yes. <laughs> then, and then instead of making your first jog, but yes. But well, yeah. no, but yeah. I'm just saying that instead of the first step being towards the basket to go chase the ball, your first steps have to be back. Right. Right. Like it's just, that's just how, how it goes. And there is a understanding that needs to be there for all of the players about what their goals are. And so the other thing that I hope 
happens as well. And we have not seen a lot of evidence of this yet so far, but this is what I'm hopeful of, is that if the Lakers are playing more five-out action, that the floor spacing and the floor balance will Mm -hmm. be more conducive to getting back, particularly with your big guy. Right. Because if you're big, if you're playing through your big at the top of the key a little bit more and that mm-hmm. big guy is a stretch big. Would or even a D and they shoot the three ball. Right. Then they're already in a position to be back. Right. Last season, the Lakers played a four out system and their big was almost always diving to the basket. Every That's single right. play, they were diving to to the basket. So which, think about that through a transition defense lens. Yes. And so they're going forward. Their momentum is going forward. And because they're in the paint, they are looking to contest defensive rebounds. One of the things that Denver does probably better than any other team, and this is because of Jokic and Jokic being a f- for all of Jokic's defensive faults, he is an amazing defensive rebounder. And the way that he sweeps defensive rebounds is he's almost always sweeping them going towards the other, going towards offense. And so mm-hmm. he is always looking to grab and go every single time. And the Nuggets are built yeah. for this idea. And it's how they get advantages on in offensive transition. It's because everyone knows we've got one of the best defensive rebounders in the league, and he's a grab-and-go go player. Yeah, no he's one's a point guard, for, too. This is, that's Magic Johnson, basically. Yes. No one's waiting for an outlet pass no. from Jokic, right? Like, in fact, if you stand back there and wait for it, he's likely just to run by you and, like, look at you, give you what some you side-eye. Like, what are you doing, <laughs> bro? You sure. don't want to open shot, right? So I do think transition defense is is super important, but – Transition defense isn't my only concern defensively when it comes oh, to the Lakers no. matchup against the Nuggets, right? It, it it starts there. But with this new starting lineup, there is no Vando to deploy onto Jamal Murray, even though Jamal Murray had his way a little bit with Vando, sure. right? The bigger concern to me is with the is the Nuggets two-man game. It starts with Murray and Jokic like. Is that your biggest concern, like in the half court, or is it just managing Jokic in general? Yeah, it's managing Jokic. I mean, I hate to be obvious about that, but it's that in part because the thing that worked best for the Lakers last season was having Rui on Jokic as the main guy, which allowed AD to help, right? Like Jokic is similar to a lot of other all-time greats in that no one guy is going to be able to guard him. He also presents a unique problem to our defense in that like our defense is built around the idea that like Anthony Davis, you can't go at him and he can help off of – he can help onto somebody else. Whereas Jokic is able to kind of go through AD. He's got such a high center of gravity relative to Jokic and Jokic is a great ball handler and he's patient, right, to where it's more about building a – one and a half to double teams onto a great player, just, you know, even uh, perimeter players as well. Now with Denver, this is part of why they're so good is that if you one and a half or double team him, they're going to run exactly the correct action. That's going to get a really great shooter open on the opposite end, or it's going to get a lob for a great lob threat. And Aaron Gordon, they're really well put together team and their scheme really builds around this. But to start with D, it's like, who guards Jokic? Who is that guy that holds the base down so that AD is able to help on the weak side? I've, we'll talk about this more, but the 
the version of the Western Conference Finals this coming year that I hope for, where it's Lakers Denver, the version that I think that we can defend them best actually has LeBron on Jokic. But we're talking game one of uh, yeah. you know the regular sure. season here. So my question to you, very simple: Who guards Nikola Jokic to start the game? Yeah, I think it's going to be AD. Um, yeah, I think it has to be. I'll be interested to see that would put LeBron on Gordon and then Prince on Michael Porter Jr. These aren't exactly matchups that I'm like super thrilled about, honestly. Oh, yeah. Prince got his fill of Porter Jr. in the playoffs this past season. Remember, Minnesota played Mm -hmm. the Nuggets like in the first first round. I went and watched um, some clips on that in terms of like the one on one matchup between Prince and Porter Jr. And Porter Jr. is the type of player where he barely feels contest anyway against the best players. Um, yeah, right. But but Prince Prince does his work early, but he's not as great of a finisher defensively, if this makes sense. Like, so he will battle you for position and everything else, but he is not such a great athlete where it's just like against the best over-the-top shooters, like he's going to super bother them. Right. And so I trust Prince a lot within the construct of the team ask. But when right. he's, he's going to rotate an, and be on time. Yeah. But when he's on an island, I don't expect mm. him to bother the best offensive players. Like that's just not the type of defensive player that 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 he is. And then Gordon, I feel like is um, he's at the stage of his career where he's just such a good athlete and he plays with such good motor that LeBron LeBron likes to guard non-shooters because they tend to like stand around a lot. Gordon is the type of non-shooter that moves around a lot. And so LeBron Mm -hmm. isn't able to just track him and sort of like keep an eye on him and reliably know that he's going to be in the same place where he left him when Mm -hmm. he goes to like help or pay extra attention to, to a different action. And so that, that, that does open up like offensive rebounding op- opportunities and yeah. off ball cuts. And then if Gordon starts to hit a couple of threes the way that he did against the Lakers in game four, it's a, it starts to avalanche on you right. a little bit. And so those are my concerns with with all of that. It does start with Jokic. But do you think that they're that the Lakers are going to double team him or shave with strong side I, zone looks and, and, and other stuff? Yeah, I think it. there are a couple options on the table. I I would like to actually see the matchup flipped where it's LeBron on Jokic and Me AD well. on, on Gordon. Me um, as well. And, and then the obvious ask, or the obvious question is, are, are you seriously, seriously going to put LeBron on Jokic in game one of the regular season? To me, if you don't want to ask him to do monumental things, yeah, it's hard doubles. And then ideally, this is part of the thing I've been saying for a few years about how AD takes two things away. If AD can be the weak side one defending two, there's no better player in the world at being the one that's defending two. And so I'm super curious if if we go that route. Um, if it is AD and then you hard double, then yeah, you're going to be given up an open three. Like that's probably the best outcome is that the ball's being swung to KCP or Michael Porter Jr. on the weak side yeah. off of that hard double or Gordon on a cut. I, I think we'll give up a ton of points if it's just AD because – Jokic backs AD down all the way under the basket in ways yeah. that it's just a physical mismatch. What and do you so, think? Yeah. What do you think of the idea though of like, okay, well then just let Jokic score. Are you a fan of that idea no. of, oh, go, no. got you. 
No, sorry. He, he, he does it so efficiently, like even when he's getting those one and a half teams that like, will Jokic give you 50 if you're giving sure. him single coverage? Absolutely. Probably still find a way to get to eight assists too, right? And although that's Draymond's point about Jokic, right? Is you got to take one of them away. Yes. For me, like, I think the process of Jokic versus AD and one-on-one gets AD in foul trouble. Gotcha. I think that's the other concern there too. Like, look, if LeBron is up to it, I would totally put LeBron on him. Like, this is one of the reasons why as well. Like, I was open to the idea of not having um, a static starting lineup. Because, like, in this case, like, I would honestly start Hayes. Like, like if it were, like, mm. in my world, I would be like, look, like, we're going to start Hayes. And I get that he's a non-shooter. Sure. Like, like, I get that. But I would be running pick and rolls with Hayes. And if you're going to put Gordon on him or Jokic mm. on him, well, then I'd just run pick and rolls with him. And AD would still get his touches. I'd still play, play, like, play through him high. I'd... I just say, like, this is what we're doing. We're playing two bigs against you. And the Lakers have been, the Lakers have shown that they're good. And I should say this, LeBron and AD have shown that they are versatile enough to play in two big lineups. We haven't seen a lot of that in the last few years because the Lakers haven't had credible other bigs. They just Mm -hmm. haven't. So, but I'm going to get back to reality because like my, like what would I do? Well, it's just like, I'm not the head coach of the team. And it's just like, and I'm not having conversations every, every single day around around tape and all of these game plan scouts and, and everything else. I'm not trying to make myself seem like I'm smarter than than Darvin Ham or anything. These are just my ideas. So in getting back to it, yeah, I would put LeBron on Jokic. And I would just say, like, look, this is this is what the job is tonight. Like you can do it and we're going to give you that sort of back help behind you that's going to help facilitate success here. Can, can we look at this through a player perspective, too, because we spend so much of our time like from a you know faux coach type of yeah, perspective, yeah, yeah. right? I, there's got to be on some level like LeBron and AD want to send a message on opening night, right? Like yes. let's not act like this is, you know, against the – I don't even want to, I don't want to say a team because I'll curse us with a future loss against a bad team if I do, but let's not act like this is just any other game, right? And so this idea of they've, they've been talking, both teams have been talking about, uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff, uh, but there's been plenty of talk, right? And there's got to be some degree of like, all right, this is a new year. We want to send a message on some level there, right? So I've got got to expect that there's some level of juice from AD and LeBron and Austin, D'Lo, all them dudes. It's like the the thing you've been thinking about that maybe kept you up at night uh, uh, upon occasion over the course of the summer. It's the same team, right? Right away. So there's got to be, like I said, there's that extra juice. One would hope. And also too, like, I don't think that that juice is limited to just LeBron and AD. Like definitely not. If there's another player and we haven't said his name much this pod, but who I think is going to be super, super important. It's D'Angelo Russell. There's no player So if I'm in the player mindset here, there's no player, I think, who has a bigger incentive to have a strong game tonight than Mm -hmm. D'Angelo Russell, right? He was the one that had to come up. He was the one guy of this group that's returning Mm -hmm. who is looked at as a key player who had his role dramatically downsized by the time the Lakers got to game four of the Western Conference Finals. And there's no player who is looked at 
this preseason in the ramp up to this opening game and taken it to me more seriously than D'Angelo Russell. He's also going to have, I think, an important defensive job in this game. He's likely either going to have to defend Murray on the ball or he's going to have to defend KCP off of the ball. And both require a level of attentiveness and diligence that he's shown he's up to in the preseason. But again, that's the preseason. These are different stakes. It's a different matchup and it's a different and there's going to be a different level of, of energy on ring night for the Nuggets, which is a thing that we've like discussed a little bit, but not to the extent of like what that's actually going to how that's going to manifest itself within the context of this game. And so what say you about Russell as like this closing thought for how he could be, to me, like yeah. a pivotal player within the context of this game. I think D'Lo has a great opportunity here, right? Particularly in the new offensive look, he was so much of the team's point guard throughout the preseason in that starting lineup in particular. And Darvin famously came out in that press conference with him and Rob and, and said, D'Lo is my starting point guard. And that was reflected in his role. In to, to start this preseason. He was much more of a sometimes on the ball, sometimes off of the ball guy last season when, when he got here versus this preseason. He was very much the team's point guard and he got us great shots over and over and over again. And so I think that against a team that was able to take a lot of his offense away, um, I think that the spacing and the system around him and the personnel around him are as conducive to his success as can be. But there is that environment, right? That it's going to be an intense environment with great closeouts and fans going crazy and all of that, where just that to me is the one of the last hills for D'Lo to conquer is in those high intensity games, being able to stay cool and productive um, against bigger physical type of teams. And so uh, very excited to see how the game goes and to get the season opened up. We will be back either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning to talk about how the game went. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Sixteen rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James. 
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.